Hello and welcome to the Maidcast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures on video game history as part of the Maid's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. While life in the time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures and interviews like the one you hear in a few minutes. I'm Chun. I'm Red. And I'm Miles. This week we interviewed Bonnie Bogovich, a seasoned voice actor and audio implementer who runs her own company called Black Cat Bonafide. We talked about her entrance to the industry as well as some of her favorite moments from games she has worked on. It was a great interview. It was fantastic. She's a joy to talk to and just a well of information and knowledge. It's really great. Yeah, she's a fun character. You never know which area you're going to work in the future. Yeah, and as someone who wants to try and get into voice acting and stuff, it was really awesome to see how she basically just carved her own path and didn't there was no like set thing she was just going with what felt right and what she enjoyed doing and i was like that's kind of like how i want to try and do things so it was it's actually very encouraging yes it it is a very encouraging talk care for what you do do your job well and do what you enjoy and people will resonate with that someday it will pay off someday someday it'll pay off and then maybe you'll have your own company But before we get into the great interview, we have a decent set of news headlines for you all today. So first things first, China has instituted new restrictions on gaming for young people. This is apparently they're only allowed to like game on the weekends for an hour a night. It's only it's only for an hour on weekends and national holidays and so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you can game for an hour. Not include Friday, I believe. Only Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> but Friday night's the start of the weekend. Okay, whatever. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. And like you were saying earlier, Chun, it's not really going to do a lot. VPNs are a thing, and everybody knows about them, and you can mm-hmm. game all you want. Also, I knew I had a feeling this might happen, but this this may touch me poorly. Starfield, not... Coming to PS5, maybe? It doesn't seem like it. Uh, During Gamescom, uh, Pete Hines and Aaron Greenberg from Bethesda and Xbox basically fielded a question about how their exclusivity thing is going to work, because now, of course, Bethesda is owned by Xbox. And the long and short of it is that there doesn't really seem to be a PS5 version of Starfield that exists at all. I'm I'm really hoping that it's going to be like, yeah, I mean, I had a feeling. I'm really hoping what's going to happen is a port one or two years down the line. It's probably going to be something like that. It's going to be like what we've seen with all the PS5 exclusives. Like when uh, Horizon Zero Dawn came to PC. Oh, like, yeah. It yeah, took yeah. three years uh, yeah. to get it on PC, but it was worth the wait. And I'm fairly confident that they're going to do a similar thing with Bethesda titles from now on. I mean, it was like, I mean, it was the same thing with the first Titanfall. The first Titanfall was just on Xbox. And then it was the second one was released on PS4 and Xbox. So mm-hmm. it, there, it's not unprecedented for that to happen. It's just a bummer. And then we also have uh, a Far Cry 6 coming out with petable alligators. Um <laughs> I think that's the that's the biggest update with Far Cry Six that I think we can never have. do it in uh, reality life. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, Far Cry. There's a lot of things in Far Cry where I'm like, you know, I don't. Uh, I can live out my most insane fantasies in this game because of the options that they allow, uh, like petting an alligator. So here's to that, and we'll see how that works out in the future. 
I kind of fell off Far Cry after the second part of three, um, Blood Dragon. I like I I've never been into Far Cry. Um, it's never been to me. It always seemed like a uh, it's definitely a, like a different mesh of the open world game compared to the GTA franchise. I've, I was a huge GTA Five story fan when it first came out, and Far Cry just had a little bit more like Red Bull injection into it. Yeah. It just chaos. Um, mm-hmm. That's what kind of freaked me out just a tad and it just never stuck with me. But I do have a couple of them on deck to play. So we'll see how that goes. What really but, impressed me about Far Cry was in in Far Cry 2, the one where you're in like Central Africa somewhere. I can't remember exactly yeah, where, you, where you're supposed yeah. to be. Um it's very dry and you mm-hmm. know you're driving around in these dusty environments a lot and fire is a big thing like in far cry 2 you could set a fire and it would look amazing and actually like travel out and and be a real hazard to people like you could burn mm-hmm. people out of a uh a settlement mm-hmm. or you know like a like a like a, uh, an enemy outpost just by just by setting fires around them and they yeah. kind of moved away from that because in 3 i remember like starting a fire and it just sort of petering out after a while. And I was mm-hmm. really disappointed because like it seemed like such an interesting hazard and and mechanic to implement and then just sort of forget about. It, like there's there's so much you can do with the chaos where it's not there's no real set way. It's like they create these law these physics and these laws and everything that works and they just let it open to the public just as like see what you can do. Try what you can with what's available. It's I like the freedom aspect. It's definitely super free and you can really just do anything. But I think that's enough of some of the news right now. We ran a little bit long on this news segment, but we got an interview to get to with Bonnie Bogovich. So without further ado, here is the marvelous Bonnie Bogovich. And we are back with our lovely guest, Bonnie Bogovich. Welcome. Hello. So today we're going to be talking to you about some, all of your masterful works and what you've been doing. So to start, how did you get into game audio? I guess the, the answer is not directly. So I didn't go to school for a program in game audio. I actually went to college for a bachelor's in music composition and a master's in multimedia because whenever I was looking at colleges, uh, I went to the to Duquesne University on a tour, and they mentioned they were trying out this experimental thing where people could learn music tech, and starting their sophomore year, as long as they kept their grades up, they could start funneling in master's classes, except paying undergrad price for grad credits, which was a very good deal. And what's nice is that also meant not only did you start grad classes early, you got to skip over the intro to sound design, intro to Photoshop, intro, you know, type of things you would take before grad. So it's kind of like you got oomphed into the, the final level. And uh, I survived <laughs> I survived that. It was kind of like taking two full degrees at the same time. And if anyone in here listening has ever been to music school, you know that music school itself is quite demanding with the recitals and juries and concerts and stuff so I had all of that and and the gaps where I didn't have concerts and juries and everything else those were the nights I put in my grads classes and I also started to focus on what I thought would maybe be useful for a career in theatrical multimedia design so 
my ideal job would have been someone who works for like the Blue Man group. So my final um, projects that I presented for school were all sort of that multimedia projection music thing. And when I graduated, uh, for a while, uh, my main job was touring with uh, theater projects. And I was digging that for a while, but I found the more and more that I did stage stuff, I really liked working on the digital aspect more and working on the music side more and more of the creative thing. And touring, if anyone's ever done a job as a stage manager or as a touring person, it can be really exhausting. So I started looking for more desk work and grounded stuff. Along the way, I started working with my college. I went back and started doing a lot of audio recording for symphonies and whatnot, got my recording chops back up after mostly focusing on theater for a bit. And I started picking up more digital and vocal type things, like uh, I did voiceover and multimedia training videos for a software database company. You know, the, you know, if you want to insert your name here, put your name in the name field. I've created all those wonderfully thrilling videos that taught someone how to create surveys in a database environment. Fantastic. It was very fascinating. Though it was not filling me creatively enough, so I actually went back to theater for a bit, and this is where things start going towards the game-verse. There was a period in 2008 through 2009 where all of a sudden government funding for, for theatrical projects dropped. Mm -hmm. So me and a bunch of my colleagues decided to invent our own theater project. And it's like, well, what do we wish we could do since there's nothing to do right now? And yeah. we came up with a zombie musical project. And it was the brainchild of myself and long-term colleague Liz Rischel. Basically, uh, we filmed a zombie opera movie okay. uh, so we hired a whole bunch of zombie people it was all timed to a click track as well an hour and a half long thing which then we recorded music some of it would happen on screen but also all of the score was timed in the video so on stage we had six to eight actors who would interact with the crowd on the screen and also themselves and also by the end, because zombies, we had sort of a 4D aspect where we had zombie extras that would crawl over the audience and approach for this giant climax. So we, we made a giant interactive Ooh. click track movie thing with stage players. Google Drive was just in its starting point then. <laughs> and I'm like, this thing is great. We organized it and did all this work. We toured the show. We had three great seasons. It got great reviews. And then because we filmed all these bodies and zombies and stuff for some of the crowd sequences, some of my extras worked at a company called Shell Games. And mm. that was the big game company in Pittsburgh. And uh, I had started to get to know a lot of these folks. Some of the extras had come in through Friends of Friends. And one day they said, hey, Bonnie, there's an audio job at Shell and the desk is empty. The desk is empty. And I'm like, what do you mean? Literally, there's no one there. And we're looking for an audio person. You should really put your thing in. And I remember thinking, I don't really do games. I've done, I've done at this point, theater and I'd done training stuff. I picked up a couple smaller game jo jobs along the way, but I never really thought about a career in games. But, but it sounds like you've, for everything that you've done up to this point, it's been just basically preparing you. Yeah. And also the fact that I was a whiz at Google Drive at that point was also a big selling point. So even though all my stuff wasn't just games, I had this bulk of work and I sent it in. Mm -hmm. uh, I had an interview over the phone with the former audio person. And then for three months, 
nothing happened. Uh, and one day I was so <laughs> tired of my job doing the training videos. It was at the point where I was slowly training someone else to take over my work so I could quit one day. And then oh. one on a Monday, my assistant went to lunch, never came back. And I'm like, all right, yeah, I give up. I'm so fed up. I told my boss that that like literally that day I'm like, I I'm putting in my notice. I just can't do this. And right as I was finishing out my week, I got a call and they were like, hey, so we want you to come in. Uh, Shell Games talk about this position, the audio thing. I'm like, my God, the timing on this is insane. They're in cahoots with your assistant. They were just waiting for the call. But it was hilarious because I had just given up. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And they were like, so you can start tomorrow, right? Because here's the stuff we kind of want you to start later this week. And I, uh, oh, okay, I guess I guess we're going Stunning. in. Yeah. And immediately I was thrown in. Uh, I was a fish out of water in some aspects, but I learned a lot as fast as I could. I quickly learned uh, like source control and version control. And uh, I learned about how all the departments talk to each other. And I was the audio lead at Shell Games. And they were like 20 people when I started. 124 people, I think, when I left. Wow. They grew over time. Once the VR boom hit, I was working on a ton of projects there. Uh, if anyone's ever played I Expect You to Die, it's my favorite project ever. And I got to work on a lot of really adorable things, too. Like, one of our big clients was Fred Rogers. So I got to work on a lot of stuff like the Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Aww. And to all my friends with kids, I can always brag that I got to watch all of the first season of Daniel Tiger before it ever aired, because I had to do it for research. Working at Shell, especially while it was growing, I got to experience small projects, big projects, tons of different platforms. One of my first things that they threw me in after that interview, apparently, was here's a SeaWorld project that's going to be at SeaWorld inside this giant cave full of actual sea turtles swimming around you while you're playing a game with sea turtles. What do you think? And I was like, I love it. It was great. It was exhausting sometimes because I was the only person there. Out of five and a half years, it was just me for four years. Oh, and wow. if you remember the numbers I said, 20 to like 120, that slope, <laughs> it was me and the effects department did not grow. They just kept adding more work and it got mm. pretty, pretty tiring. Uh, eventually I was able to hire on an intern. Eventually we all were all gone and off to other worlds. And I moved to the South. I am in mm. Austin, Texas now. Um, mm. Running my own company, which is weird. Saying that out loud is weird. One of the things I learned, the more and more I worked on like nine things at the same time, uh, yeah. my passion out of all the stuff that we would do was working on the voice and voice acting and trying to get stuff with narrative heavy things. Mm -hmm. And I was even, luckily we were a non-exclusive, I think that's the word company, where as long as there, you worked on something that didn't conflict with a game they were working on, you were allowed to take on other work. So mm. I was like, for example, I was working on a game at Shell called Mechatars, which was like like metal beasts that fight each other, kind of like Transformers. Mm -hmm. I was not allowed to simultaneously take on a side job that was working on Transformers. You know what I mean? So luckily, okay. there were many non-conflicting things that I started to pick up along the way where I was doing voice acting for people. And it got so big that by the time I left the company, I had a, I had a, a client base already that I was able to take on more work for. I am now three years into being an LLC, Black Hat Bonafide LLC, and my studio focuses on uh, voice, voice editing, voice recording. Um, I've done directing jobs as well, and I do it all from here, or I've also gone to other studios in the area when we need to do jobs. But 
It's been pretty cool. Like I've in the last couple of years, I think uh, I've worked on Cobra Kai. I've worked on Wasteland Ooh. Three, Bard's Tale Four. The most recent G.I. Joe game, you know, uh, I just did voice acting in a weird game called Hell Architect, <laughs> which is bizarre, okay. which just came released for those of you listening right now. I think it came out like last week. We were talking a little bit about Hell Architect before this. And so any stories that stand out or anything? I'd say I'd say uh, it seems like I've, I have a couple of niches, 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 I don't know, <laughs> that I do lately. These days, the most the most uh, regular things I get asked to do are critters, moms, like anime moms, honey, you forgot your lunch, or uh, and or <laughs> snarky people, snarky evil villains. And mm. I got to be a snarky evil villain for Hell Architect, and also Death and Taxes, which came out last year, I play your conscience. <laughs> so it's like, oh, well, you could do that, but okay. Mm. Just so you know, you suck. Have a nice day, Reaver. <laughs> and it's the, the same kind of voice that I used for Lilith in Hell Architect. And it's just refreshing to be bad. And I think I told someone the other day that the most healthy thing you can do is do a maniacal laugh in the morning. Get you prepped for the day. Like a big old... <laughs> you know, like laughing is so damn healthy. And I highly recommend it. And it helps too when you're getting into snarky characters. Um, I'm always happier to be evil than to be someone crying and sad. Well, <laughs> I've learned yeah. that. <laughs> there's there's a level of control and power with evil tendencies, whereas yeah. crying is a little bit sad and helpless. But it's yeah. depends on the depends on the scene. And I will <laughs> say that one one fun thing through uh, Hell Architect is uh, I ended up being directed by Ali Sidrani, and she was working through a group called Unlock Audio, which is new upcoming. Uh, audio production studio uh, where they handle everything including implementation and stuff for larger games and we chatted so much that uh, she recommended I talk to the head of Unlock and uh, as of this past week I am now going to be helping them as one of their voice directors. Oh fantastic. Uh, so I'm excited to have another another uh, collective that I can work through so I'll still be working as a contractor through them but they have some big things coming, and, and their team is fantastic. And I'm just so happy to be added to that collective. Because even though I do so much work on my own, it's nice when you can still have a herd mm -hmm. to cling to. So it's always nice when I can work with with a group. Um, and even when I was working on, like, Bard's Tale and such, that was working with uh, Alexander Brandon. He has his own studio called Funky Rustic, so I actually worked through them to do those. Uh, I do a lot of work with um, Hamsterball Studios, which is Randall Ryan. He got me the work with Cobra Kai. So, you know, I always love when, when there's other audio people you can bounce stuff off of, but, but it's sometimes just me, and that's cool. Really just talking with people in the industry and going to different things, meeting different people is one of the most beneficial things you can oh. do or oh my god yes yeah uh i would say most of the jobs i've got well obviously the first one wasn't was a bizarre experience of hey i cover you in fake blood and then you told me that there's <laughs> there's you an opening a in a studio me. yeah <laughs> but along the same level you can you can find those connections by working on a film you never mm -hmm. know what someone else is doing right a lot of folks in that in that zombie herd were people that i've worked with on 48 hour film projects 
in the Pittsburgh one, I was the audio person in town, so I was usually the one with the boom. So I was always the sound person. But mm -hmm. I met a lot of creative types there. And one of the lead makeup people that we used on my zombie opera project was from film because she was really good. So like you, you can pull people from anywhere in the world. Uh, but if you never go out and do some of these experiences, you're not going to network. Don't, don't do a 48-hour film with the goal of only finding a job. Do it for the experience because mm -hmm. you want to learn how to work on a team. You know, and you want to learn how to work on a deadline and how to collaborate. And I was telling someone the other day that I always think of working on games just like working in theater. You're making something where the audience is the player and everyone has to do a job to make it as immersive as possible. Uh, yeah. Especially once we worked in VR. I'm, in a, I'm working on a VR horror game right now called Hush, uh, Search for Dominic Ward, which will come out later this fall. And it's all about immersion and making people feel cool and... Being that I'd already worked on a giant zombie project was one of the reasons why they hired me to do sound on this one. It was a combo of they, they knew I could do an escape room type thing in VR because I expect you to die. But the zombie angle was what sold me to get the job because I've got the spook stuff going. You know, I know I know blood. I know fake blood. I know my splatters. Um, but I'd say uh, a lot of other connections I never would have met if I had never gone to Game SoundCon which is an event that happens every fall. I've met a lot of people going to GDC, uh, going mm -hmm. to the awards. Uh, after attending GDC a couple times, I got very active in the Game Audio Network Guild. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hosted the awards, I think three years in a row. I would go to GDC and be the person who was up there handing out the awards and introducing people. And it was very nerve wracking being in front of all your peers and telling them who is best. <laughs> It's very scary, but it, sh it was a good opportunity for me as well because I would meet a lot of people after and because they recognize my face from being up on there, we would talk about the biz after. So it's like the more you can involve yourself sometimes in some of these communities, the better because it's a, it's a great way to network. The IA SIG is a great networking thing to be a part of, too. They usually have meetups in various places. Uh, Steve Horowitz, who you guys know, is an active yeah. member of, of uh, IA SIG, which is the Interactive Audio Special Interest Group, funded by the MIDI Corporation, I, I believe. Mm. When they have meetups, it's a great place to network. I'd also say if any anyone, anyone listening has ever heard of a game jam, mm -hmm. I recommend Googling Global Game Jam. And what happens is it's the same deal as the 48-hour film project, but it's a game where on a Friday, around the world, at a specific time, uh, a theme is introduced, and everyone has to make a game involving that theme. One year was Heartbeat. Uh, one year it was that snake that eats its own tail. And all of the games that are made within two days have to involve this theme. I've done global game jams where I lugged my keyboard in and I had a little station in a corner and I would record monsters from people in, in the bathroom, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I've done global game jams where the whole thing was digital. Because, you know, even now, that's kind of a thing. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's other, and you don't have to do global game jam to do a game jam. Uh, sometimes I think Lorem Ipsum and some other groups do them throughout the year. Sometimes they're themed around a charity or an event. But okay. I think the most, yeah, personally, other than going to these actual conferences, which is, can sometimes be expensive, working in a group and meeting people that way, I think is one of the most valuable things you can do. Because also, if you do a good job, people remember two things who they loved working with, mm -hmm. who they never want to work with again. So you want to be on that first one, you know, mm -hmm. 
because you know, they might not hire you, but they might know someone else who suddenly has a game and referrals are gold. It's always great to leave a good impression, not to burn any bridges and just be open to stuff and don't take on everything. Cause if you are starting out, you may feel like you have to take on every single job, uh, learn what you like to do and do it also i think (laughs) and i also recommend uh keep up to date on software because it changes Mm -hmm. all the time um you can sometimes meet people in software training sessions i've actually done that before i went on an alexa thing once uh i'll make sure Mm -hmm. it's listening to me i should turn it off go to a thing on how to develop games for the amazon echo uh, I actually got some great jobs for a while working through a company called Earplay. I worked on Jurassic World Revealed, which is an audio adventure using the audio from Jurassic Park. Oh, and wow. I got to know them from going to talks about Alexa. You can still do a ton of networking digitally. Uh, for example, Game SoundCon coming up has mm-hmm. mixer rooms that happen every night. Uh, some of them are in virtual reality, and you can go and actually connect with other people and attendees that way. Just make sure, since we are all virtual, when you network that way, make sure your public presence when they Google you is up to date. Don't have some crazy non-professional looking things when they look up your website. Make sure everything matches and your name and your website is all good because you don't want to network with someone virtually. Then they Google you and your Twitter's a mess and your Facebook Mm -hmm. links to a dead website. Be prepared. I think that's maybe the most valuable thing I I could offer is... You will, you will be Googled. Make sure you look pro when they do. All right. Even if it goes to a simple website, make sure they all go to a happy place that defines you. All righty. Especially these days where we can't physically shake your hand. They're going to, you're going to be s- s- searched. You're going to be searched. I feel like that was kind of dark. No. <laughs> it's like, just, I'm being honest. Just, it's like, what would I say? Exactly. Like, no, because like, otherwise, if, if this was two years ago, I would tell you to go to more in-person things. But since yeah. I can't say that, <laughs> it's yeah, you can't say that now. And they'll they'll change back, you know, but learning, especially I uh, half my clientele right now is international. I can't physically mm. meet them at yeah. this time. I might have been able to run into some of them at GDC if it was in person this year, but it's not. So being prepared for that overarching hmm? I think is, is, hmm. Mm. Yeah. You can't see my well, face. It's good. It's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good face. <laughs> Just trust us. Well, Bonnie, thank you very much for coming on. Sure. Thank this you is for a delight me. and a pleasure and very enlightening. I hope I didn't scare anyone and instead encourage them. No, no, no. <laughs> it's all good. Well, thank you cool. very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Bonnie, for the marvelous interview. We hope to have you back on again. So, a last little bit before we wrap up everything else. What has everyone been playing? Are you going to play uh, Hell Architect at all? Uh, I picked it up. I haven't started it yet. I just have so many things in my backlog. Yeah, it's an endless backlog of things. But Hell Architect seems like a really fun game to check. Yeah, it looked goofy. I liked it from what I saw. I just hopped back on to Destiny 2 to play some raid and other stuff with my friends because I have been leaving them to <laughs> yeah I have been leaving them for quite a while and how it, how is it how does it compare to Final Fantasy 14 Okay listen to that I I hop back <laughs> to Destiny 2 
but it doesn't mean I didn't play Final Fantasy. It just, oh. it's just a, like a like a daily <laughs> job. I would just spend about an hour on Final Fantasy fourteen, and then if I got any time left on that day, I would just hop on Destiny two to see if any of my friends are there, and if there are enough people there, we just do a raid. That's just how it works. Nice. It doesn't mean that I I would not play you're Final Fantasy. Yeah, yeah. You're, I mean, you're not neglecting your responsibilities. You're just yeah branching out. You know, testing I mean, I have been ignoring the call for the raid for quite a while. So <laughs> 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 they have been yelling for not enough people on the team and can't start it. So I guess and now it's actually a good time to hop back in because they just announced a news expansion on February next year, and it sounds pretty interesting and exciting. So. If I hop back for now, I don't have to play too hard to grind or something because I have until February next year to play it. So there's a long time to yeah, do it. Yeah, you can have a little bit of you. Can, yeah, you can get yeah. get prepared and yeah, get used to it again. And I mean, that's half a year. So <laughs> yeah, learn the new meta. Yeah, you're good. You have plenty of time. You have plenty of time to before you commit fully again. Uh, yeah, I've been playing. Uh, recently, I've been playing picking up some of the Jackbox games again, uh, just playing those with some friends because I forgot how fun they were. Uh, it's really such a delightful party environment that everybody kind of enjoys. People that don't play a lot of games can play this because it's just on your phone. So uh, it's it's a really like inviting thing and everybody's kind of like on an even level with it. Uh, mm-hmm. Great party games. And this fall, I believe we're having Jackbox Party Pack 8 slated to come out. So keep set your uh, notifications to on for this one because you'll have some great reunion parties with everyone once we can all comfortably see each other in larger groups again someday someday some year some timeline (laughs) (laughs) alternative but yeah we'll get there um but yeah uh, i think that's all we have for you today But we want to thank you for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, please shoot us an email at info at themade.org. We'd like to send out a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our Patreon supporters who keep the made afloat. Patreon donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services, and we'll continue that with future episodes every week. Till then, I'm Miles. I'm Red. And I'm Chun. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Thank you.